Welcome to Need to Know Nutrition, the podcast that discusses all things nutrition and health. It's my absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest. Jennifer Woodward is a certified functional diagnostic nutritionist who hails all the way from California. She's a board certified wellness coach and is currently pursuing her master's in integrative nutrition. Now with a bio like that, you just know you're in for a real treat. This charismatic, passionate, warm, and incredibly knowledgeable human is also the executive director of the Association of Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Professionals and has profound knowledge in all things women's health. Today's interview is filled with incredible facts and easy to implement nutrition and lifestyle strategies. Jennifer's knowledge and passion shine through as she educates and informs us about functional diagnostic nutrition and all things nutritional health. Enjoy. A really lovely warm welcome to you, Jennifer. It's really lovely to have you on the show. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Belinda. I'm so glad we got to connect. Me too. Now, firstly, can you tell our listeners about who you are and your journey to functional diagnostic nutritionist? Yes, yes, I can. So um, I am a functional diagnostic nutritionist. That's like such a big term. So we call ourselves FDNs and basically FDNs are trained to use functional lab work to help women and men obviously get to the bottom of their chronic health concerns. So it's, it's kind of like the next level in lab testing. A lot of our clients will say, my doctor ran a thyroid panel, my doctor ran, you know, a hormone test. And he said, nothing's wrong with me. And what we do at FDN is really go to that, you know, really next tier in trying to find healing opportunities in the body. So that is what I'm about as an FDN. I particularly specialize in perimenopausal periods. So I help women ages 35 to about 50 really dial in their metabolism, their periods, their gut function, their energy, and their sleep. <laughs> um, it so is a lot, it's a lot going on at that point in time, you know? Um, and then just, just my journey to FDN is actually a little bit different. So I'm a mom of four. I've got four kids. They're 14, 15, 14, 11, and nine. And you know, it's, it was a twofold process for me. First off, my third son was actually born with really bad skin, had awful allergies, and he ended up getting eczema that would like crust over and weep and, and was very inflamed for such a time in his life. We'd have him playing outside in the backyard and his eczema would get worse. He'd start to crack and bleed as sores would. Um, we'd give him a bath and his, you know, sores would crack and bleed. You think the bath's going to be helpful for your kid? And it wasn't. So I thought, oh my gosh, is my kid allergic to water? What is going on? Yeah. Uh, and through, uh, actually a good friend of mine, her dad's a chiropractor. So he ran one of these, you know, food sensitivity panels. And we found that Roman was really highly sensitive to chlorine and also milk. And wow. that kid was in water all the time. He was drinking, I was giving him like five or six bottles of milk a day. Cause I thought that was good for him. I just didn't know. Yeah, sure. There'd be parents, I think resonating with, with this sort of um, information as well, Jennifer, as parents, that's just what you do, isn't it? You do the best for your child or you don't know any different. I did not know. So yeah, I was thinking it was good for him and he, his body was just freaking out. So, um, once we got a whole house water system, we got rid of the chlorine in our pool and switched to salt water. And I took away milk, his skin cleared up so fast, Belinda, it was crazy. And we, 
we were like sold. Oh, we use data to understand what's happening to our kids. Like that's a game changer for a family, right? Absolutely. Wow. And that would have been so amazing for you as a mom as well. Yes, it was definitely, it kind of empowers you and really kind of led me down this path now. Okay. I, I can, you know, use these things to care for my family better. Like what else can I learn? And in the course of that process, you know, I ended up having my last child and my hormones just went nuts. They went nuts. I could not sleep. I could not lose weight. I had splitting migraines. My gut function was awful. Like I was super constipated. I had to put on yoga pants every afternoon because my, my stomach would swell up no matter if I just even drank water. Like I would have this like awful, you know, bloating. Um, my, once I, you know, kind of realized that things were going on with, with my hormones, my doctor said, well, here's an antidepressant and here's some birth control. And I was like, well, dude, my husband just had a vasectomy. So I don't really need birth control. Uh, but they, they told me, you know, all those things would solve my problems. And while I realized that those are great options for some people, like in my heart and in my gut, I thought, I don't know if that's the problem. Like I'll do it if that's going to fix it, but I don't know if that's the answer to my problem. Um, so one night I was actually just watching a YouTube video and I came across this girl who was a functional diagnostic nutritionist who was talking about some of these problems and what she did to fix herself. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) So I asked my husband, can you float me some family finances so I can go back to school? And to his credit, he said, yes, that's teamwork. That's teamwork. (laughs) Totally. So that's, that's kind of my story. I started school back again with functional diagnostic nutrition, loved every step of the way I got certified about six years ago. So I've been practicing for six years and I actually direct the graduate association at FDN too. So I also get to help train new coaches do this great work in the world that so many people get to benefit from. I love it. Oh, that's amazing, Jennifer, and very inspirational. Thank you for sharing your personal story too. But I love the work that you do. And I love, sometimes I feel as well, and I speak a lot with my clients too about this, is that, you know, our GPs have the best intention, but sometimes they don't have the time that we have to sift through all of these pathology results or these functional test results. And so it's lovely that we're able to dive in deeper and actually offer assistance. Like you said, to this beautiful, healthy platform, we can actually look at these tests and build from there. It's really great work. Yes, I totally agree with you. It is, it's almost a luxury to get to have the time to spend with clients because you're absolutely right. I think everyone can resonate with that. You've been to your doctor and, you know, they do great work um, if you're sick, but if they don't know why you're sick or if you're just not well, it's not necessarily going to be, you know, the most encouraging experience, I think. Yes, that's so true. Now, you mentioned hormones, so I really want to talk about them. Why do some doctors tell us that we're fine when in actual fact our hormones are in going haywire? Oh, girl. Okay, I can write a book <laughs> on this. You probably could too. You should, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and this is how like I like to tell my clients or just, you know, teach when there's a, a two different sets of, of, of lab values. So really, if you're looking at a standard set of lab values, you might fall into the normal range, but we're looking at a subsection of people who are already sick, right? So a, a normal lab range is generally taken from people who are getting lab work for a reason. They're not feeling good. You know, their, their body's out of whack somehow. So what we do in functional nutrition is we're looking at the 
optimal lab range? Like what, when do your, does your body go from a state of dysfunction to a state of function? So that's kind of like the background for functional nutrition or functional medicine. We want to get you functioning correctly. And those lab ranges are much, much tighter. So the doctor will say like, Oh, you know, your thyroid numbers look normal. And you're like, "Uh Oh, but my hair is falling out and I can't poop and I'm freezing cold all the time. My hormones are crazy. Right. So So looking, if they're just looking straight at the data, like a lot of doctors are trained to do, um, you know, you might be experiencing symptomatically something different from what your doctor thinks that you're experiencing. And then on the other hand, a lot of times, you know, we're just told that it's normal, right? We're told that going through perimenopause is normal. We're told that PMS is normal or clots in our periods are normal or insomnia is normal for this time of life or after you have a baby or whatever it is, but it's, it's common, but it's not normal. Right. And so Mm. I think doctors again, see sick people. And so they're seeing this day in and day out, you know, all the time. Um, and it almost becomes, uh, normal for them, but for a generally healthy population, those things are not normal. Yes, absolutely. And I think too, it is quite frustrating when you do speak to clients who, who do say that, yes, oh oh no, but all all of my bloods came back normal. They all came back normal. So what's wrong with me? When you do take a closer look, you can see, you know, that you can see that although they're in the reference range, which that too can change daily as well. Is that right, Jennifer? It changes often the actual reference ranges, don't they? Yes, they do. And they're, they're different from time to time. And they're also different from lab to lab. So, um, there's, there's definitely some wiggle room in there for, for your blood, for your blood labs. Yeah. So it is really important, isn't it? To actually take those results. They're yours. Take them to someone else. If you aren't satisfied with the answer that you've been given. Yeah. So, so true. And that's kind of like going a step deeper than that. There, you know, the labs that, that doctors tend to run, which are basically, you know, standard blood panels and you can get a little crazy. You can dive deeper into the thyroid. You can go deeper into like heart health or, you know, brain health. But what, what we do in, you know, functional nutrition is, is we go deeper with these very personalized specialty labs. I like to call them cutting edge labs because they kind of are, because I never heard of them. Oh, you like that? Yeah, I do. That's great. (laughs) Um, so we're not just looking at the blood and the other, the other thing is, you know, a a snapshot in time is what you're getting when you're getting a blood draw, right? It's just happening at that very moment. One time and the body, I always like to say is weird, right? Our bodies are changing all throughout the day. Hormones are changing throughout the day with what you eat, what you, you know, how you slept last night, uh, what foods or, you know, chemicals you're being exposed to, but the, those next level labs are looking at things from a, a, either a daily standpoint, sometimes like a three month standpoint. Um, and so you're really getting a much better picture into the body, um, for, for like the dysfunction that's happening instead of just that one time snapshot, you know? Yes, absolutely. I hope this is making people think a little bit more about too, you know, (laughs) about the results they've been given and Hey, maybe I'm, I'm not feeling okay for a reason, even though the doctor said that I'm normal or within range. It's great information, Jennifer. Thank you. What are your top three nutrition tips to help rebalance our hormones? And I love your socials about this because you are, you are big on tip giving and I just love it. I think it's so great. It's accessible to everybody. I very much appreciate you saying that, Belinda. I love the the words of Weston A. Price, one of my favorite authors of all time. You probably know about him, but he was a dentist in the 1930s who set out to study cultures around the world and wanted to figure out like, what is it that makes these 
indigenous people healthy? You know, how are Westerners so different? He, since he was a dentist, he was looking at like the dental palate and he saw a really clear correlation between a narrow dental palate, teeth falling out, unhealthy, you know, dental health, <laughs> unhealthy dental health. Right. Uh, and then yes. also um, mood disorders, even things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So he was like, I know there are healthy people groups in the world. I'm going to go study them. So we spent seven years studying, um, different cultures from like equatorial, um, Africa, all the way up to like the high Swiss Alps and, you know, um, the Maori people and it, it, it's, Eskimos. It was crazy what he did and how deep he got into studying these people. But, um, I'm, I'm talking about him for two reasons. One is his dying words were you teach, you teach, you teach. And so I'm just passionate about getting to share the information that I've learned because, um, other people, you know, we're, we're also hungry for that information. Cause I think all of us are just not feeling that, that good, you know, um, and getting access to the right information is definitely transformational. It has been for me. So I love to get to share that too. Um, and the other thing I learned and love from Weston A. Price is what was the common denominator he found in studying people all over the globe? It was eating animal protein. And I know that might resonate not for everyone, um, but just let me explain just a little bit. Um, uh, and, and really, you know, if you're getting your protein sources, uh, you're probably going to be doing better than most Western women. But if you think about like women, we're kind of taught from a young age to be part of diet culture. So we're cutting down on calories. We're cutting down on carbohydrates. A lot of women cut down on protein because they're, you know, eating lots of fruits and vegetables, or they're snacking like on their kids, goldfish, or they're <laughs> using coffee to fuel their morning because they think it's good for them to skip breakfast. Um, and a lot of times it's especially in my work, what I see as a hormone specialist is that women just do not have the building blocks to create a healthy hormone cascade. And really that starts with animal protein because you need to have the dietary fats and the B vitamins to start creating things like testosterone and progesterone. And we could talk a little bit about more of those specific hormones, but my number one nutrition tip is please, ladies, please try to get enough protein every single day. And that's about a palm size serving of protein. So four to six ounces, at least two times a day. And I prefer, you know, pastured organic, um, grass fed animal protein or fish if you can, but I'm even okay. If you buy your protein from Walmart, as long as you're getting it. <laughs> Great tip. Great advice too. I think too, it is, it is an investment in your health, isn't it? The, the food that you buy and the effort that you make is really an investment in your health. So I, I'm, I'm with you, Jennifer. Great advice. I love it. Tip number one. Perfect. Yay. Oh, I love, okay. I'm so happy. You agree. It's just, you know, I really just like to talk about nourishment and getting that foundation down. And you, you probably agree. Like when our clients come to us, they really are just lacking that foundation of nourishment because, you know, it's been stripped away from them. They just don't, no one knows. We don't know. That's good. I came from a background of diet culture. Like my mom put me on a diet when I was 13. And so the rest of my life, I just thought that's something I needed to do as a woman um, until my hormones just kind of tanked and I had none left. I didn't have any building blocks. So that's definitely tip number one. And I'll veer a little bit more off course. I'm not going to give you more like food tips because I'm a functional nutritionist, not just a nutritionist. I know like the body as a whole. So we see things, you know, everything comes together. So my second tip, and this is, it might even be like my most important is actually like sun and nature. 
So, you know, your body has this circadian rhythm where you're supposed to secrete your, your wake hormones and your stress hormones during the day, during the daytime hours. And then you're supposed to start kind of riding your sleep waves, like around 7 PM your time. Right. And those waves you'll kind of notice if you get in tune with your body, they come about every hour and a half, every 90 minutes or so you'll start to yawn and feel a little bit more sleepy. And if you are not getting outside during the day, that, that pattern gets flipped. So we call it a diurnal cortisol pattern, right? You secrete this cortisol during the day. And then at night you secrete melatonin, your sleep hormone. But if your diurnal cortisol patterns flipped because your body's like, what the hell time is it? I've been inside <laughs> all day, like in front of a computer with these like bright lights, it could be 12 noon. So I'm just going to stay up. I'm just going to mm -hmm. keep going. Right. Um, and so women start to struggle with insomnia and mood disorders and, and exhaustion during the day. Um, because they're not really, they're not in, in tune with those natural rhythms of the body. So I, I like to encourage, um, everyone really to get outside, set your alarm and try to get outside at about 10 o'clock your time for about five minutes. Cause that's usually when most women are reaching for a cup of coffee or like some sugar. Cause your body's naturally has a little lull there. Um, I like to call the sun, like our, our battery or charger, right? Our bodies are, they, they need a charge and that's the best way to do it is through the sun. So, um, um, around 10 o'clock in the morning, that's actually going to raise your serotonin levels. Um, actually I, I flipped that in the morning, it's going to raise your dopamine levels and dopamine is the neurotransmitter that's associated with like pleasure and satisfaction. So if you want to like stave off that 3 PM coffee and donut craving, get outside around 10 AM. Right. And then at two o'clock, that's kind of like the next lull for people. Again, they're reaching for like a sugary snack. They want to take a nap. Instead of that, I would say go outside for five minutes, just lay outside. Even if it's, even if it's sunny or if it, it's not sunny outside, you're still getting a little bit of that, you know, vitamin D and just that, that like nature bath of getting to be outside for a few minutes. And then your body's going to start producing more serotonin, which is your, your joy, your happiness hormone, which later on in a healthy, you know, diurnal cortisol pattern is going to convert to melatonin and help you sleep a little bit better. So that's why I love the sun. <laughs> oh yes, that is. And now I'm sure if, if no, if a few listeners didn't love the sun, they will now that is again, really great advice. And I also love it from a preventative measure, you know, so at 10 o'clock, if you're going outside into the sun, that's kind of preventing that three o'clock slump in the afternoon. Yes, I love it. Accessible to everyone, isn't it? Five minutes. You can't argue with that. Five minutes. Everyone's got five minutes. Just five minutes. And it's yeah. free. It's free. So it's nothing you have to pay for, which is nice, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, Jennifer, this information is so great. Now, oh, are we at so two happy. or did we combine those two? Oh, well, that was two. So my third oh, wow. is actually also one of my favorites and something I've been getting into a lot more over the past year. My third tip is actually breathing. And I know that sounds like everyone's like, duh. Well, yeah, you have to breathe. <laughs> But do you breathe properly? Um, there's so much kind of interesting research out right out now, Belinda, that's, that's like a, the, the difference between oxygen and carbon dioxide. Um, and, you know, we've all been taught that we need plenty of oxygen. You know, you got to take those deep breaths while you're working out or even just sitting down or doing yoga or whatever it is. Um, but really there's new research coming out that shows that it's not necessarily the oxygen that we take in that really helps our bodies, um, rebalance themselves, but it's the carbon dioxide that we're pushing out. So wow. yeah, <laughs> we all take in big breaths, but we 
forget to exhale completely. And there's something else that's really cool that goes on the body. Your listeners, I'm sure are familiar with the lymphatic system as our, you know, our body system of drainage and kind of detoxification. So anything, you know, any bacteria, any parasites, any, you know, waste from the body goes into the, the lymph system. And then, you know, we, we excrete it out via urine. Um, but the body doesn't clean lymph all by itself. So you have to do something to, to increase lymphatic drainage. So some people will dry brush, some people will jump on a trampoline, but actually if you take really deep breaths and then you expel that breath even more completely, that action of expanding and contracting your lungs pushes on the lymphatic fluid all around your chest cavity and starts draining and detoxifying your body, which I think is so fascinating. Like all you have to do is breathe, right? Yes. How cool is that? Yes. So that's my challenge. I think to your listeners is yes, take the deep breath in, um, but make sure that you're also doing almost a longer exhale. So the science says 5.5 seconds in 6.5 seconds out. And it takes some time to kind of train you to do that. Um, But if you can practice it for a couple minutes a day, you shift over from that fight or flight from the sympathetic nervous system activation over to parasympathetic nervous system activation, which is the best. That's where you're able to digest your food. That's where you're able to make that healing, happy hormone progesterone. That's where you're able to relax and actually get to sleep. And if you can't get over to parasympathetic, you're going to have everything I had, you know, never get to poop, always have bloating, you know, headaches, insomnia, anxiety, panic attacks. That's the body's overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system. But again, another free and easy tip, like switch it over to parasympathetic just by breathing. (laughs) Now I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to jump over and I really want to talk to you, Jennifer. And I found this on your socials and I absolutely loved it it's on your website as well, but I wanted to talk about breast implant illness. Now I really enjoyed this because I feel like maybe it's not a topic that's discussed very often. Um, and I love that you're discussing it. You're putting it out there. So can you tell our listeners why are breast implants so dangerous and what risks does implantation actually carry? Thank you so much for asking about that, Belinda. I love that you've given people kind of a safe place to hear about it here because the more work I do with breast implant illness, the more people are coming up to me, you know, women ages 18 to like 70. And they're like, oh, I didn't know this was an issue. I've had my implants for 10, 15, 30 years. And I'm like, grandma, I didn't know that you had implants. (laughs) (laughs) You never told me that when I was a kid. (laughs) But we should probably define our terms and breast implant illness is actually hard to define because it's not like a medically recognized illness yet. Now that's changing very rapidly because things are happening even from like a, a government standpoint down and physicians are starting to become more educated about it. For a while, it was just kind of like a disease of hysteria for women. So, so many people would just kind of push it aside, but you know, the movement is happening and women are their their lives are being, you know, destroyed. And so there are lots of studies now we've got, you know, case studies and then peer reviewed journal articles published on the symptoms that show that really like point to breast implant illness. So for a lot of women, those are non-specified symptoms, but for most people, it is um, increasing fatigue, headaches, and brain fog, the onset of autoimmune um, issues, specifically lupus and scleroderma, also Hashimoto's disease, hair falling out is another one, um, rapid aging, 
and gut issues were huge, 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 um, food sensitivities as well. There's some really gnarly, um, you know, symptoms that not a lot of women get like Morganelle's disease, where your body's actively trying to push silicone out through sores in your body. So like it, every woman reacts differently, but the first couple symptoms that I listed are really endemic to most women's story, right? Cause it's a, it's a foreign invader. And we don't think about that. Cause we are, again, we were all told it's safe. Everyone's doing it. Your grandma's mm-hmm. got implants. So uh, <laughs> it should be fine. Uh, but you know, you're, it, it's something that is not part of your, of your body and the body is very intelligent. And so it's going to be working all the time to either protect it, which is why your body creates a, a scar capsule around each implant or push it out. Why, you know, some women actually go through, um, something really difficult where the body starts to reject the actual implant. So for me, it was that first list of symptoms, you know, um, fatigue, um, autoimmune issues, Hashimoto's thyroiditis and, and psoriasis, um, that increasing food sensitivities, terrible gut issues. Um, and then another hallmark actually of breast implant illness is a completely tanked hormones. So women will complain of going from, you know, just feeling normal to having zero libido to having zero energy as shown by cortisol on something like a Dutch test and then tanked uh, steroid hormones like estrogen and progesterone. And that fit me to a T when I ran that lab work, I was like, I think something's wrong, (laughs) something, you know, that I haven't been working on. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of my backstory, but the reason implants are so dangerous is again, they're a foreign object. And when you think about like, you know, your community, like these women who are, you're educating, they know that they're supposed to avoid estrogens, right? Like we don't go out of our way to seek out plastics and, you know, everyone's like gluten-free and dairy-free. And we don't think about the fact that we've got, you know, this silicone, this plastic in our body. And I think you probably saw on, you know, one of my posts, Linda, I just put, you know, all of the chemicals, all the toxins that are in, um, a single saline or silicone implant, it's, it's over 60 different toxins that we even know of. And yeah, we just, you know, all of us are, we're doing juice cleanses and we're doing, you know, like uh, three day fasts and water cleanses and, and thinking like, okay, that's going to, that's going to fix our body. But sometimes the problem's a little bit deeper. It's like actually in the body. So the risks of, you know, implantation are rejection by the body. Um, but then also these, these really insidious symptoms and in, you know, the medical community calls it like idiopathic symptoms, idiopathic, just meaning we don't know what the heck is going on. Where is it coming from? We don't know. (laughs) Um, so if you, you know, you have implants, especially if they're over 10 years, that's about the time that those start to deteriorate. And for me, and for a lot of women in my community, we were like, we feel fine. You know, we're all into health and nutrition. Now we don't want to go get anesthetized and go through a 10 hour surgery just to get more implants. So we're just not going to do it. So for me, it was, you know, 20 years down the road before I finally got this urge and this tug to, to get them out. Um, but those risks of implantation are, are everything that I stated at the beginning. Um, and then, you know, and, and more, you know, you can look at some of those stories online and, and some women I've heard it firsthand. Um, one of the common refrains is I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I was going to die and I didn't know why my body just started to shut down. So that's, that's pretty scary stuff. 
Oh, that's really scary stuff. And again, thank you for sharing something like this. I feel like this is the kind of information that we need to put out there, isn't it? Especially in perhaps an environment now in the last few years too, where aesthetics is everything. We don't think about those health risks that are associated with something like breast implants. You know, we're just thinking, yes, perky, great breasts, you know, I'm going to feel amazing. And you might for a time, but like you said, it's, it, you know, they're not natural, especially when your body starts to reject your body. So clever, like, thank you so much for sharing this type of information. It's so lovely that, you know, especially lots of women out there, if they're considering it, or if they do have them, it's really lovely to be able to have access to this kind of information. So thank you, Jennifer. That's really very helpful. Thanks, Belinda. And just, just a quick caveat. Like, this is what I always say too. like, I had them for 20 years. I don't judge anyone. Like I'm not saying that I just, I, my only objective is to kind of educate and give you a little bit of the background of it. Like the FDA actually came out in 2018 with a black box warning for all implants, saline and silicone. So even, you know, from a higher up level, people are starting to realize, well, this actually is a big safety risk for our citizens. Um, and it's something that at least we want to educate the public about, but you know, if that's, it's still your decision. And, um, you know, every woman is so different. If there is, you know, you've had four babies or six babies, like, of course you don't want to look at your pancake boobs in the mirror. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be very honest. Like when I got mine out, I had four babies. So I was like, I would like a lift too, please. Thank you very much. (laughs) Get in there. And the other thing, Jennifer, that you touched on, which I think is really important, is education being that beautiful foundation because then you can make an educated, informed decision. It doesn't matter which way it goes, but as long as it's educated educated and informed, that's the most important thing. And it's your decision at the end of the day. So that's great. Thank you for pointing that out too. Now... Let's talk about the menstrual cycle. This is your thing, isn't it? So let's talk about it. it. (laughs) Now, firstly, what are the four stages of the menstrual cycle? Just just in case some of our listeners aren't aware. Uh, And what things can we do to help have better periods? Oh, I love that question so much, Belinda. Thank you for asking it. I, I, I am always surprised, like, that women just don't know about their menstrual cycles. We're not really taught about that. Like in sex ed in like fifth and sixth grade, um, you know, you're just like, okay, don't have sex. And then we move on. Like, that's okay. And <laughs> yep. that. But no one gets to know about like this beautiful, glorious thing that we're given, you know, as, as a period, as a woman. And it really, it's, it's so incredible. Like the more I study it and the intricacy of like a, a period and just the, the intelligence of it. I, I just, I find it so fascinating. Um, and I'm sad that more, you know, people aren't taught about it, but regardless, the four stages of the menstrual cycle are days one through 14. That's called your follicular phase. So that's when estrogen starting to rise in the body. Um, because right around day 14, for most women, you have ovulation. Everyone's kind of familiar with ovulation. Some women have pain during ovulation. You know, that that's the time when your body is ready to conceive. So there's about a 48 hour period there. That's like the magic period where you can actually conceive a baby. And one tip I like to to give to women, you'll know if you're ovulating or it's a, a good chance that you're ovulating. If for those two days, you're kind of getting some fertile cervical f- fluid <laughs> and that's actually, you can, you can kind of feel it. Like when you wipe after going pee, um, the toilet paper is like a little slick, or you can almost like pick it up and like gum it between your fingers, like egg whites. And that's your fertile cervical fluid. That's like going to allow the sperm to like, actually, you know, get to that egg, right. Yeah. 
So, so stage two is ovulation. It's a beautiful thing and you can have healthy ovulation too, ladies, I promise. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. Um, and then the third stage is actually called the luteal phase and luteal refers to the corpus luteum. And this is the coolest thing I think about the menstrual cycle in a period of six hours, your body will ovulate. So it releases an egg from the follicle. And then that follicle, that little tiny hair follicle actually turns itself inside out and becomes a fully vascularized structure. So now the body's sending blood to this corpus luteum and the corpus luteum for the rest of the luteal phase is going to be pumping out progesterone and progesterone is shortened from pro gestation hormone. So you need plenty of it in order to keep a healthy pregnancy. And now we know you need plenty of progesterone in order to sleep well, have a balanced mood, um, have a healthy menstrual cycle and even have a healthy, healthy brain. Um, so that stage three is the luteal phase. And then the final phase is your bleed. So that's, um, you know, we, we'd actually go back to day one of your menstrual cycle, you know, that the culminating event, right. Um, and women should bleed for somewhere between three and five days. Um, you know, not a lot of clots, right. Not a lot of dark blood, not a lot of spotting that is a healthy menstrual cycle. That's amazing. What a great explanation too. Thanks, Jennifer. That's so, that's amazing. Um, and I think too, it, like you said, I was only talking about uh, with a friend of mine about sex ed at school. And I feel yeah. like all that you walk away with is don't have sex because you'll get pregnant. No one actually tells you there's only a 48 hour beautiful magical window where you can actually conceive. But like you said, right. it's not it's not discussed, you know, really in depth. Like you said, all those phases, and we don't really know a lot about it unless we do the research ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's so so true. So I have a daughter and she's 14. So I'm she's like, Mom, stop talk, stop talking to me about my periods. I'm like, you have to know these things, and so do your friends. Do you want to go have coffee with your friends? She's like, Oh, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, mom, yeah. <laughs> Stop, mom, stop. She'll thank you later. She will so thank you later, I think. Thanks, Belinda. <laughs> and so, Jennifer, so what kind of things can we do to make sure that we are, in fact, having, you know, a, a better period or a healthy period? Yes, I love that question. So first things first, like we always say at functional diagnostic nutrition, like test, don't guess. So you don't want to just guess that you have below progesterone. You don't want to guess that you're not ovulating. You don't want to guess why your cycle is weird. I love to run the Dutch test, which shows me exactly what's going on with your progesterone and your estrogen levels. And then a, a, a myriad of other things, but that's the best piece of information that we can possibly have to really drill down and see, you know, what, what is going on with your period. And of course that's like an extra expense. So sometimes women are like, I just don't have the money to do that right now. And that's fine. So I have a couple other tips for you to do that are free and really easy to implement. Um, and it's kind of going back to, you know, those top three nutrition tips. I work with five things. So we work on diet, we work on rest, we work on exercise, we work on stress reduction and then supplementation. And I always tell people like diet, super sexy. Like, yeah, everyone's like, give me a diet. I could totally do that. Right. Give me the supplements. <laughs> I got that. But it's that really hard combination of rest and stress reduction. That is like the magical piece in restoring hormone balance. Cause if your period's off, it is not a period problem. It's a lifestyle problem. Right. right. Um, so I, I really, really, really encourage people, you know, get your bedtime in order, you know, start winding down, ride that sleep wave at seven, you know, have a really healthy protein rich dinner with some great carbohydrates and, um, you know, plenty of good, healthy fats. 
Um, and then, you know, ride your sleep wave, take an Epsom salt bath at night to relax your body and get you restored for sleep. Um, you know, turn your lights off by 10. That's not really popular advice, but I have my women work toward that. Read a real book or a magazine and turn off your electronics, you know, have great sex before bed, sleep in a room that is not too warm and not too cold. All those things that, that really good night sleep and that good sleep hygiene before bed is that the number one tool I have to really start balancing women's periods. Um, and then that can extend into the daytime too. Like we were talking about the sun. I, I challenge my clients, you know, on the weekends, can you spend more time outside than you spend inside? Cause we have this rhythm in our body really reflects the rhythm of nature. So we've got, you know, a 28 day lunar cycle and women, if they're healthy, should have a 28 day menstrual cycle. Ideally that kind of meshes with the waxing and waning of the moon. So as the moon waxes or gets bigger, that should be your follicular phase. And then as the moon wanes and gets smaller, that should be your luteal phase. And if, you know, the, the tides have rhythms, nature, you know, summer, winter, spring, fall, like it's all a rhythm. So we, as, as Western nations, we kind of balk against those, those rhythms. Like we don't eat in season. We're not sleeping at the times we should, uh, we push our bodies too hard and expect too much and are overworked and overstressed and underslept. And so we kind of, I, with my clients, I peel away those layers and we start to work backwards. One of my favorite questions to ask is, did your great, 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 great grandmother eat it? Could your great, 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 great grandmother do it? Right. Yes. <laughs> and if the answer is no, I'm like, well then let's work on an alternate option because those things aren't serving your body. You know, humans are old, but all these new things like, you know, indoor lighting and fast food and birth control pills, those have just been around for like the last 150 years, maybe in human history. And our bodies are all like, what do I do with this? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true and what an amazing segue into my next question <laughs> Jennifer it's actually all about the pill I want to know oh. about it so <laughs> now I feel like it's very common isn't it for ladies both young and old to be prescribed the pill to help with things like period pain you know to um, reduce heavy bleeding to help with acne and the list kind of goes on and on it's actually yeah. I mean obviously birth control is in there but I feel like that's almost a really small reason for someone to be choosing the pill. Um, now, you and I both know, um, I think that the pill is far from the answer to any of these questions. So can you tell us about the pill's impact on our health and perhaps the misinformation that we receive when we're prescribed the pill? Yes, absolutely. And I've been on the pill. I've been on every form of birth control before I knew, um, what, you know, how these things impacted my body I actually got married to my husband at 19, believe it or not, we knew we didn't want to have kids right away. And so I was on all these different birth controls that weren't really well, working well for my body. And I hear that and see that from a lot of my clients too. I think, you know, for all of you who are listening right now, if I were to say, raise your hand, if you've been on the pill, probably 90% of you, um, cause that's the statistic that, that is out there have been on the pill. So you're totally right, Belinda. Um, it's common for, you know, older women, younger women to be prescribed oral contraceptives. And you're also right. Like it's mostly for period pain or PMS or acne or heavy bleeding. Um, but the problem with that is it's not a fix to the issue. And, and the reason why that happens is because the pill is uh, synthetic hormone based. So you are getting synthetic estrogens with the pill. 
they're getting estradiol that's not endemic to your own body. So when you think about a lot of the problems of like period issues, right? Like acne, heavy bleeding, clots, um, depression, mood disturbances, um, uh, PMS is a huge one. Generally, if we're testing, we can trace that back to elevated levels of estradiol or estrogens, just general estrogens and reduced levels of progesterone. We call that estrogen dominance. And it tends to be the number one reason why women have period problems. So let's think about this. Now we're introducing extra estrogen into our body, even though we're exposed from chemicals and plastics and personal care products and alcohol and, you know, all sorts of things in our environment. Now we're putting more estrogen into the body. And then it also blocks that beautiful event of ovulation. That's the point. Cause it's, it's birth control, right? And so it's supposed to prevent pregnancy and it does that by stopping ovulation. So your body never ovulates when you're on the pill and therefore your body never creates that beautiful, calming, sleepy, magic hormone progesterone. If there's no progesterone in the pill, they're actually synthetic progestins in the pill. And if you're looking at the molecular structure of a progestin, it looks very similar to an androgen, something like testosterone. So this is why a lot of women on the pill end up getting worse acne and end up gaining weight because that synthetic progestin acts like testosterone, which is a, an androgenic hormone. It's a growth hormone in the body. And even after you come off the pill, you know, now your body's got this really low level of progesterone, if any, and elevated levels of estrogens and also androgens like testosterone. So it's just, I mean, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. I didn't know this. We don't know this. People don't know this, but what you're taking the pill for is actually making every single one of those problems worse. And women say, you know, I like it because it regulates my period. And what I didn't know is that a pill bleed is not a period. It's not a sloughing off of the endometrial lining. It's almost like an afterthought of the body. It's a, it's, it's getting rid of those chemicals. So you never actually bleed either. And that can start to cause symptoms of something like polycystic ovarian syndrome, where you never have a follicle that bursts to release an egg. So you have all these follicles that start building up into cysts in your ovaries. Mm-hmm. Um, it can cause endometriosis, which is that, you know, estrogen dominant issue of, of your body, like creating scar tissue in your ovaries and your fallopian tubes. Um, so it's really detrimental to women's health. And I just feel frustrated that, you know, women have been have fed this party line, like, you know, you can take control of your health, but really, you know, in the next five to 10 years, you're going to feel awful, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think too, it's, it is one of those things where, you know, like women are are going generally going to the GP for advice, for help, because they're having, you know, menstrual related issues and the umbrella cover is just, oh yeah, yeah. The oral contraceptive pill fixes everything. But like you said, it's very much, it's misinformation. And that's Mm -hmm. why we need specialists like you, Jennifer, out there spreading the good word So people understand what they're getting into when they do decide to take it. And like we said before, it's all about education, isn't it? Making that informed decision. So um, now what are the alternate options to the pill that perhaps have a less impact on our health? Now, I'm pretty sure there was a social media post about this that you did too, which I loved. 
Yes. So there are definitely some options to the pill. Um, and I will be honest with you, they're not as easy as a pill. Like it was so easy for me to take a tiny little pill every single day. This takes a little bit more body literacy. You have to learn about your body and be a student of your body. Um, but it's once you get the hang of it, you're just going to feel so empowered. You're going to feel so confident and so happy to be a woman. Like there's so many cool things about your body that you get to know. Um, so few things I love, I love, 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 love the, the fertility awareness method. And I was kind of explaining it to your audience a little earlier, Belinda, and you know, like checking your fertile cervical fluid and seeing whether or not, you know, it is indeed kind of that sticky gummy egg white, um, substance. I usually have clients go two days in either direction. So a total of about six days, if you abstain from sex for those six days, two days before two days after that fertile cervical fluid, which you'll have to track for a few months before you get the rhythm, then you're pretty safe. And it actually has a 99% effective rate, which is greater than the pill. So that's super exciting. If you can train yourself in the fertility awareness, <laughs> Belinda's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love that, right? Yes. <laughs> no brainer. Um, but it, it, got, it takes some time, takes some time to kind of learn. And I think I have my Priya here. Let me see. I have my Priya, but I, I, it's under, it's under my desk over there, but Priya is this awesome, awesome company that created an intravaginal temperature, um, measure thermometer. There's my word yeah. <laughs> thermometer. <laughs> so it's actually, it's a cervical thermometer and it sends information to your phone that tells you what your body temperature is. Here's the cool thing. Estrogen lowers your body temperature. That's why a lot of women who are estrogen dominant are cold all the time and have thyroid issues because, um, estrogen will lower body temperature, but progesterone raises your body temperature and thereby raises your metabolism, which is really cool. If you're trying to lose weight, um, <laughs> just a little bit. So about 0.5 of a degree. So part of the fertility awareness method also is tracking your basal body temperature. So your body temperature before you get out of bed every single morning, before you even go pee, you know, taking your, your body temperature and around day 14, 15, you should see this almost imperceptible jump in body temperature, about a 0.5 of a degree that'll stay elevated for the rest of your luteal phase. So, you know, at that point, okay, I've ovulated, mm -hmm. um, you know, and now I'm safe to the rest of my, till I start my period. So the pre, like I said, will do that for you. It is, I think it's like $200 for the technology and they have a, like a subscription fee to get that information. And they, it's not a contraceptive device. It's a conception device. They, they're very clear on that, but you know, you can educate yourself and use it the way that you want to use it for your own means. And I really love that piece of technology because a lot of women are like, shoot, I'm not staying in bed for 10 minutes every morning and tracking my body temperature. That's so labor intensive. Mm -hmm. So pre to the rescue there. Um, there's, you know, a, a couple other options as well. You know, you can of course use a condom. Nobody wants to, but shoot, we all did it when we were like, you know, teenagers, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and can, it was all fine, you know. <laughs> you can use it as an adult too. Um, so definitely, you know, look into something even as simple as that. A diaphragm is also, you know, helpful. But honestly, I think the most the most um effective and also the most empowering way to really dial in your menstrual cycles is the fertility awareness method. I'm not an expert on it, but there are many women online who specialize in the fertility awareness method. And there's actually um, a book uh, called the fertility awareness method, which is really helpful. If you really want to get into that a little bit deeper, it just teaches you how, again, to be your body's own health detective. 
Amazing. I love it. And you said before about empowering women, you know, like feeling empowered when you know this information. That's great. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Now, yes. Jennifer, you mentioned before just uh, in a little, um, a lovely little tidbit uh, about progesterone helping you, helping to boost your metabolism. Now, I want to talk a little bit about dieting. Um, again, I love that you touch on this in your socials. It's really important message that we sort of have to get out there, don't we? Where we are part of a, you know, a really um, intense diet culture, and like you said, it's something that we just think we should be doing. We've been doing it for years, so it's lovely to be able to get this message out there. But I wanted to know what is the vicious diet cycle, and what is a better way to nourish our nutritional health? Oh, you're totally speaking my language, Belinda. <laughs> oh, so good. I think if I were just to say that phrase to like nine out of 10 women, they'd be like, oh yeah, I've been there. You know, that vicious diet cycle of start a new diet, do really great for a couple of weeks, completely lose it because you go out on vacation or to eat with your husband, or, you know, you see a donut laying there and you've just been starving yourself for three weeks. Right. And then you crash and you punish yourself. And on Sunday night, you know, three days later, you're online looking up the next diet thinking this time is it, it's going to be at this time. I got this right. Mm -hmm. That is just, we've all been there. You know, I see it in myself. I see it in my clients. I see it in like my mom, you know, and young women. It's just, it's such a, it, it is vicious. You know, when you think about mm -hmm. the connotation of that word, it almost like plucks you up and then spits you out. It just doesn't have any care for you. And in my practice, I love the opposite of that. I love the word nourish because mm -hmm. it's so foundational to number one, what we need as women, but number two, who we are as women, like we're created to nourish other people. Like inevitably, if you're a woman, you're probably pushing out to your community or your family or your friends or your work environment or whatever it is you do. Um, and to do that, well, you have to be nourished and the vicious diet cycle is kind of the opposite of that. And so I kind of, again, ask women, you know, could your great, 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 great grandmother have done it? Your great, great grandmother was not going to orange theory at 4am and she was not eating kale salad for lunch because that wasn't calorically expedient for her. Like she had shit to get done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she had to like all the laundry. She had to like go out and milk the cow and like, you know, fricassee a chicken for dinner. So like she was eating for energy. She was eating to like sustain life instead of like to, you know, lose weight or try the next fad or see if you can, you know, get down one more size. Right. And all those things can be attainable if that's something that your body wants, but if your body doesn't want it because it just needs nourishment after so many years of being punished, um, then you have to be okay with giving at that time, um, just switching over from the vicious diet cycle to a nourishing diet. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like too, a lot of women listening to this podcast right now would be resonating. Like you said, nodding their heads going, mm -hmm, yeah, I'm with you. And I love the word nourishment. I feel mm -hmm. like it's just this all encapsulating word of like warmth and love that you can give to yourself. Um, yes. And especially from, and you, you know, like we're talking, we're talking about you know, um, and I'm a big believer in those small changes, making a big difference, you know, making, you know, buying grass-fed organic when you can, you know, switch it and, you know, making your diet a whole food foundation, or like you said, you know, reducing that stress, going to bed a little bit earlier, getting outside a little bit more, 
all those little things make such a big difference. In, and like you said before, it's not just about nutrition. It's a re- it really is holistic. It's everything that comes into play when we talk about your overall health. So Jennifer, this has been an incredible interview. Thank you so much for your beautiful, bright, bubbly energy, and also for all of the information that you've given. I'm sure people will be going back to the start of this with notepads and writing it all down. It's just very beneficial and like, and and also very accessible and easy for everybody. Now, if people do want to contact you or follow you on social media, where can they find you? Oh, and can I just say quietly or loudly, please do. Jennifer's amazing <laughs> on social media. So where, where can uh, all of our lovely listeners find you? Melinda, <laughs> thank you so much. You are just delightful. I've enjoyed this so much. I so appreciate you. And thanks to everyone who's listening today. Um, I would love to get to share with you. I'm, I'm, I am online. So I'm on Instagram, Jennifer Woodward Nutrition. I'm on Facebook, Jennifer Woodward Nutrition. You can download my free guide, your 10 steps to better period health. And that is just a quick check list. Like you can go through and be like, okay, I can actually do this. Like all those things we talked about today, it's an actionable like checklist so that you can actually start feeling better. Your periods can get better. Um, my website is Jennifer Woodward nutrition.com. Um, and yeah, that's my practice is fully virtual. So I am online a lot of the time, just getting to connect with amazing women like you, Belinda, um, <laughs> and just the community at large. So I love it. And thank you again for having me. That's great. We are all the uh, all the more better for having you on this show so thanks again jennifer and enjoy the rest of your i think you're going into evening now over there in lovely california aren't you yes and you're just starting your day right yeah okay (laughs) good well you have a good one too melinda thanks jennifer bye Thanks for joining me today and learning all the things you need to know about nutrition and your body. 
If you want to learn more about today's topic or have a question you'd like answered, please jump onto my website, thetravellingnutritionistaustralia.com and find the podcast tab. All the references are also available should you wish to dive a little deeper. Remember, it's not the things that you eat and do occasionally that matter. It's the things that you eat and do every day that really count. Until next time, always choose the good stuff because you and your health are worth it.